Just a few short months ago, Tottenham was a club under a cloud. There was wailing and gnashing of teeth, and that was just Antonio Conte. The football was drab, confidence was low. The summer departure of Harry Kane had increased the fear factor. Fast forward a few months and Spurs are top of the Premier League and playing wonderful football under Ange Postacoglu. As the Spurs legend Jimmy Greaves used to say, it's a funny old game. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. We've put together a very special tipping team for this weekend as regulars Mark O'Hare, Emmett O'Keefe and Mark Stinchcom are joined by the former Spurs striker Dimitar Berbatov. Berber, great to have you with us. First of all, how good is this Tottenham team and do you think it can genuinely challenge for the Premier League title? Let me first show you something. Do you see this? Wonderful. Do you see this? <laughs> The listeners, by the way, who are wondering, what did Berber do then? Uh, he showed us a picture of them celebrating that League Cup triumph, which is the last major trophy uh, that Spurs have won. <laughs> Glorious days. Wonder, wonder <laughs> almost glory days. This is what I want to see. And maybe, just maybe we can whisper a trophy is coming. You know, we can whisper it about it, but uh, maybe not yet because there is a lot of games to play. For the moment, Spurs are probably doing everything as, as they should because no losses in the Premier League, playing good football, attacking football, getting points where they don't play so good as well or men down. So this is the traits of, a, let's say, a team who knows what to do. And it's down probably to the new manager, but of course the players who play on the pitch for sure as well. Mark, what did you want to ask Berber? Yeah, Berber, it's, it's hard not to have been impressed by what Ange Postacoglu has done at Tottenham in such a short period of time. But I was going to ask you, what's impressed you most about his his tenure so far? And, and what does a manager like Ange Postacoglu need to do to get buy-in from players? Because it didn't seem to be the case with Antonio Conte, but they certainly seem on board with, with Ange and his principles. Well, to be honest, sometimes the answer is as simple as they can be. You're just doing what you're doing right now. It's working, right? So why change? Uh, and obviously the players play attacking football and most importantly, they are playing brave football, uh, which uh, means playing the ball forward. Don't be afraid if you make a mistake because sometimes when you play the ball forward, of course, you're going to make a mistake, but pass, but still just go forward. If you, if you see the opportunity to do that and you see the bravery of the team when they attack, when they go out of positions uh, and it pays them uh, at the moment, as I said. But as always, we have been witness Spurs doing starts similar, not quite like this, but again, they've been doing really well at the beginning of the season. But then all of a sudden something happened and the form just dropped. So the real test for this team is going to be when they... Uh, have their first defeat, first defeat in the season. That's going to be the real test, how they're going to come back after that. Or maybe, just maybe, imagine if they go and beat in the whole season, right? Imagine that. 
He's going to be like, oh. here we go. Here we go, Arsenal. We've done the same. <laughs> I was going to say, Gunners fans would love that. You, you, you finally shut them up about that forevermore. <laughs> well, it's it's a long shot. But as I said, in the moment, everything is working great for the team. Uh, of course, the manager is the guy to take uh, uh, the, the applause at this moment. Uh, also the players for sure. But as I said... If it's working at the moment, just don't change. Keep going. But the first defeat, if any, is going to be the real test how you come back after that. Um, Dimitar, more of a general question, but obviously this Tottenham team, I think, is probably one that the fans have probably most admired since the kind of Pochettino era with the style of football they're playing. I was just wondering, is there any player in the Premier League that re- who in the Premier League who reminds you most of yourself? In previous years, I would have said it would have been Harry Kane. So in terms of from the number nine, he had the kind of playmaking and bringing other players into play into play that you had. Is there any player? Is it James Madison, Son, or is there any player in the Premier League that really reminds you of yourself? Uh, to be honest, I never like the comparison between players because everybody should be their own uh, self and try to be, build his own legacy in a way. Uh, so that's why, to be honest, I never thought about something like this who reminds me of myself. I just, when I put the TV on, I watch a game. If it's a Spurs, United, or it doesn't matter who it is, you know, I want to see imagination, uh, yeah. of course, entertainment, but all of this uh, for the good of the team, which means getting the points, getting the win, not just to show off. You know, that's that's what I like to see. And at the moment, Spurs, honestly, are playing this type of football that the fans want to see. Because to be honest, some of the fans are going to take a beautiful loss to an ugly win. But at this moment, everything is just clicking for, for everybody at Spurs. As I said, it's great because it's not luck. You can see they, they play with intention on the pitch. They know what to do. They score good goals as well. Uh, and if, if they're also in trouble, main short on the pitch or red card or whatever, they still get the points, which is a trait of a, of a champion's team. But it's too early. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint, the Premier League. So let's hope they, they have the enough power uh, and, you know, here in the head to know how to outsmart everybody else. Berber, Hyungmin Son is one of the best finishers in, in world football and, and this season has been moved for, further forward to replace Harry Kane. What makes him such a good striker? Well, probably because he's coming from Bayer Leverkusen, like myself, you know. <laughs> That's the magic trail. <laughs> well, listen, uh, of course, nobody can replace Harry Kane. This is my opinion, you know. Uh, his shadow was so big, then uh, Stone, as good as he is, was under that shadow, you know. So now when Harry Kane is gone, um, uh, Son can really show everybody what he's capable of. Also, he's the captain now. He's the man in charge on the pitch, in the dressing room as well. So he's doing great in the season so far. But even if he's not scoring, he's he's giving the game so much with, with his movement, with his speed, with his passing, captain uh, ability now and position that he's getting even more into and growing into that position as well. So he's kept the ability and everybody knows that because he's been for so long in in Spurs and in the Premier League that he can score goals left, right. Uh, He's not typical centre forward. That's what makes him dangerous because he's go from the left, from the right, in the middle, uh, passing ability. So it's great to see that he's fully embracing 
the responsibility and the pressure of being the captain and scoring goals. Berber, thanks for joining us. Delighted to say Berber's going to be back for our Sunday show as we look forward to the Manchester Derby. So very much looking forward to that. Berber, we'll let you go for now, but thanks for now. Thank you. So Mark, let's focus on the fact that Spurs are away at Palace on Friday night. Palace can be really awkward opponents at Selhurst Park. This is going to be quite a good test of what Ange Postacoglu is doing at the moment. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Selhurst Park under the lights. You never really want to get too heavily involved in a team away from home at Crystal Palace in that kind of scenario when they're priced up at around 185. And I think that applies here with Tottenham for me too. Uh, Palace put in that wobbly performance at Newcastle last weekend and, and Roy Hodgson was very eager to kind of brush it aside as quick as possible. It was very unlike Palace. Key individuals, especially in defensive areas, made uncharacteristic errors and the midfield looked completely unbalanced and, and just didn't put up a a strong fight, really, which is very unlike Palace. So I, I expect Palace to come into this game and, and almost try and double down because they're still missing Eze. They're still missing Elise. So you kind of take out the crown jewels in forward areas. What are you going to do? You're surely going to try and show your strength in, in defensive positions, which is where they've been so strong down the years, the organisation, the resilience, uh, the foundation, which kind of put was in place, which kept three clean sheets before that Newcastle match. So, you know, Palace are awkward opponents. No team has kept more clean sheets than them so far in the Premier League this season, uh, four from nine, which is quite impressive. But Spurs themselves have been quite strong defensively too. They've, they've also managed four clean sheets from nine fixtures too. So, um I have a lean on this match. It would be to back under two and a half goals at 216. Um, that's a big price, really, for a Crystal Palace match. And, you know, Spurs have been pretty good for the most part this season. They obviously scored twice, or at least exactly twice, in almost all of their fixtures so far. So they'll be going there with full confidence that they can repeat that feat too. But um, I just expect Palace to, to sort of double down defensively and try and sort of shut Spurs out as best as they possibly can. And we saw their match against Arsenal earlier in the campaign. It was it was quite a dreary contest, really. And, and three of the four games at Selhurst Park have featured a maximum of one goal, let alone two or three. So uh, this might be a, a hard fixture for Tottenham and it wouldn't be too surprised to see a bit of a hiccup in their, in their performance levels. What a fun Friday night that's going to be. Uh, worth bearing in mind, you can get a free bet when you place a £5 bet builder on the big game on Sunday between Manchester United and Manchester City. Opt-in required, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Arsenal got a superb win in Seville in midweek. Mark, you want to talk about their clash with rock bottom Sheffield United, but it's also linked to a couple of fancies you have on Sunday. Yeah, this is the first leg of a Premier League treble. I'll be backing this weekend. So the other two legs are on Sunday's show. So don't be a dweeb. Make sure you tune in to hear the, the final two legs of this treble. Um, all the cool kids tend to listen to Sunday's show. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, this, is quite, this is quite straightforward, really. Um, as the market suggests, uh, this should be a, a comfortable home win for Arsenal. I'm going to back them to win and over one and a half goals as the first leg of my treble. Basically, Arsenal to win this game by two goals uh, or more. Oh, sorry, just ruling out the 1-0 home victory, basically. Uh, they've won 17 of 24 home games since the start of last season in the Premier League. They've scored twice or more in 19 of those matches, averaging 2.63 goals. When, ho when uh, hosting promoted sides, they're 31 wins from 36 since 2010, which is uh, incredibly strong. Uh, <laughs> It is. Uh, they just tend to get the business done in this kind of um, situation. Uh, and as we know, with Sheffield United, uh, they've equaled the, the worst ever start to a Premier League season. Uh, just one point on the board. Um, they've conceded multiple goals in each of the last eight in the Premier League now. And 
you know, there are concerns across the board, really, but they just don't have the quality to, to match, not just to Arsenal, but the Premier League in general, really. And they gave United a decent game at Bramwell Lane last week, but that lack of top tier quality shone through, really. So they've given up uh, 20 shots or more in each of their previous four before facing Manchester United. Defensively, they've been all at sea. And I think Arsenal were very impressive in the way they dispatched Sevilla on, in Spain on Tuesday night as well. So um, Arsenal should win this fixture. Wolves won the Gary O'Neill Classico at Bournemouth last weekend. They've beaten Manchester City this season. Emmett, they've got Newcastle at the weekend. In the last couple of seasons, we thought, oh God, Wolves are so boring. They never get any goals. They're rubbish. Actually, Neto's come back from a serious injury. He seems to have sparked the whole thing into life. Massively so. I think it's 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 kind of, I think... For any football fan, obviously, but especially Wolves fans, Neto a couple of years ago looked like kind of, a, kind of one of the young stars of the Premier League, and he's kind of he, he he's really back to that level, especially in the game against Man City. I thought he was kind of a bit of a one man counter attack for them. And I think he, he him and um, him and Cunha, well, I think will re- as as they go, kind of Wolves Wolves will go this season. And for coming into the year, I thought Wolves are kind of a real prime candidate for for relegation. But with I think if they have Neto and Cunha fit for the most of the season, I think they probably have enough attacking punch to kind of to find three three worse teams in them but I, I think as well this is quite a good spot for for Wolves playing Newcastle like the Newcastle had quite a grueling game against Dortmund having to chase the game in the driving rain and they also lost Alexander Isak and Jacob Jacob Murphy to injury I think just with the Isak injury is big obviously Callum Wilson is, is a very able replacement but I think just at, the, at his age you don't necessarily want to be playing him three based three full matches in a week isn't ideal I think the way they've been rotating their wide players and having and they kind of every every three days again they can't really do that because Murphy's absence that that, that doesn't help them as you mentioned, I think Wolves have already shown the ability to be very competitive against the Premier League elite. As you said, they beat Man City, even though they lost 3-1 at home to Liverpool. They were really on top in the first half and could have been kind of further uh, and could have scored more than one goal in that first half. So I, th- I, I, I expect I expect Wolves to keep this close, but the and probably the way I'd like to back them is kind of both teams to score. The kind of Wolves matches are averaging over three expected goals this season, and Newcastle are the highest scoring team in the league this this year. And even if you take out the Sheffield United game, which is a bit of an outlier where they scored eight goals, this Newcastle are still averaging two two goals scored per match. Like so, I think all all signs point to a high high scoring game here, in which Wolves are competitive. I think one point eight of both teams to score looks more than fair. Talking of high-scoring games, let's go to Germany, shall we? Augsburg and their new coach, Jes Torup, face Wolfsburg. Augsburg came back from 2-0 down to beat Heidenheim 5-2 in Torup's first game. Stinch, I was really quite staggered to see over two and a half goals, trading at 1.78. Is that where we're going? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's five goals after half an hour last weekend. Um <laughs> And but you have to say a bit of a bit of context. Augsburg scored five goals from nine shots, so running a running a little bit hot. But it's you know longer term data we're looking at. So yeah, we want to back over two and a half goals, as you mentioned. Uh, Thirty four goals now in eight games for Augsburg. So that's four point two five per game. Bundesliga is averaging three point five four after sixty three matches. Um, sorry, 72 matches now. Uh, last season, the Bundesliga was at 3.17. So we can see the huge increase. I think I've tried to flag it up. They were not expecting it to be sustainable, but 
there is still a huge increase there and it's worth taking advantage of while the while the prices last essentially uh 41 of the last 54 Bundesliga games now have gone over 2.5 goals so you could pretty much offer me team AV team B and I would take it blindly yeah. um Augsburg defensively are a mess uh and obviously only one game in charge for the new coach, but two goals conceded in 10 of the last 11. Wolfsburg, conversely, not as it, quite as exciting. Um, scored 11, conceded 11, so 22 goals in eight games, 2.75 per game. But I think the average is dragged down a little bit by some of the teams they've played. They've played all of Frankfurt, Union, Cologne. Those three I don't think can really score. Um, Dortmund have, have surprisingly been quite organised in games this season. Um, but if you look at games against Leverkusen, Stuttgart and Hoffenheim, which I think gives us a better barometer, there's been 11 goals in those three games. Yeah. And uh, these two met towards the end of last season and then finished 2-2. So, yep, continue backing over two and a half goals in Augsburg games, given the price. Mark, is that what you had for this game? Yeah, obviously. Uh, I think we're all on over two and a half goals in this game. Um, 74% of Bundesliga matches have gone over two and a half goals this season. If you blindly turn that percentage hit rate into implied odds, it would give you a blanket price of just 1.35. We're getting close to 1.8 here. It's obviously not the right way to price things up, but it gives you an indication on the strength of this selection, especially so considering it's landed in 12 of the two teams combined, 16 Bundesliga fixtures, 11 of which saw BTTS, but since just done all the hard graphs. So um, yeah, I'm on the same selection. Well, let's kick you over to Bremen then, shall we? Werder Bremen against Union. Union have lost nine in a row. Their worst run under Urs Fischer. It's not going well, it's fair to say, although they seem quite defiant still. Yeah, I would be as well if I'm an, an Union um, supporter. Um, things are looking desperate from from the outside, but I, I don't think they've been as bad as, as that run suggests. And perhaps it's just a bit of regression from last season where they did get the, the marginal gains in tight matches. Um, perhaps things are just balancing itself out a little bit. But the midweek defeat to Napoli was, you know, it could have gone either way at times. Um uh, and actually, I'm just thinking of a couple of games off the top of my head. The Heidenheim defeat was very, very unfortunate. Made the Braga loads match chances on, in that game. Loads of yeah, chances. The Braga match on match day one uh, or match day two of the Champions League, um, they should not have lost that game. Um, that was a, at least a point, if not more, for them. And uh, so I don't think they're a million miles away from from sort of arresting that yeah, horrendous run of results and perhaps this is the the weekend to do it because they're going to a Bremen side who are in poor form themselves they've lost six of eight so far this season uh, they've managed only one clean sheet and they've considered twice or more in four of six games against teams above them in the Bundesliga standings however at home they do tend to come to the party a little bit uh, they're a bit more adventurous and uh, we've seen that in their in their goals records they've scored at least twice in three or four at home this season, only failing to do so on the opening night against Bayern Munich. So uh, for me, this was another just um, no-brainer over to an half goal selection because it's trading at 1.91, which is too big um, by my book. Uh, the market moved massively against goals last weekend when Union hosted Stuttgart. It, over to an half goals went off odds against and it just didn't look right to me, that move. And sure, Stuttgart did all the heavy lifting in that fixture, but... Union are capable. Uh, they've got players in forward areas who can score goals. They've got a set-piece um, set-up which can cause problems too. And and he would not back Raymond to keep a clean sheet against any side. So uh, I think both sides can contribute. And I think the over two, two and a half goal line is, is too high. Notts County and Wrexham were two of the best teams in the National League last season. Both of them came up to League Two. Stinch, you've 
been a big fan of getting involved in their games for quite some time. So this is the perfect stinch game, isn't it? Yeah, I thought with El Clasico this weekend, we should focus on El Clasico in League Two. Exactly. Um, Notts County, very slight faves here uh, against Wrexham. They're second, Wrexham a third. Um, so obviously both gunning for promotion already, despite the fact that they're newly promoted teams. Um, their matches so far have been very goals heavy, so you can understand why over two and a half goals is is priced quite short. County scored 33 and 15, but conceded 26. Um Wrexham have uh, scored 30 but conceded 27 so you can see that they're uh, both very gung-ho uh, both ends of this both ends of the pitch um, as I say County slight favors at 11 to 8 they were 11 to 10 in this fixture last season and that's kind of what's got me interested here um, they've won six of seven home games to start life in league two 23 of their last 30 if you go to the beginning of last season they've lost just twice and Wrexham away this season have been a bit peculiar they've only won twice I think more alarmingly is they've only managed five away goals, which is the second lowest in the league. So all of their good work really is coming at home. Um, they were hammered 5-0 at Stockport. They drew 0-0 at Mansfield. Um, and with Notts County averaging over 63% possession and Wrexham less than half at 48%, I think this is going to be Notts County dictating the game. So I want to back Notts County, uh, draw no bet around about 1.85. But there is a little bit of a warning here for listeners. Recently, when Notts County uh, played at home to another promotion challenging team, Mansfield, they drifted like an absolute barge and Mansfield ended up going off favourites. Even when Notts County took the lead, they were still four to five to win, which is you know, incredible. Um, so what I would maybe advise here is to uh, get back Notts County much closer to kickoff um, because they might have drifted again. Now, we know injury time goals could be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets. So now you've got 90-minute payouts to rescue you if the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands. Your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Queen's Park Rangers against Leicester. Mark O'Hare's therapy session is about to begin because QPR are going to face the team that you've described, Mark, as the best championship side you've ever seen maybe yeah i think i think so um obviously early days but we've now got a 13 game sample um they've won 12 of those fixtures which is unprecedented really and um they've looked incredibly strong almost in every match um sunderland gave them a decent battle in midweek but leicester still came through that and they've started the season with six straight away wins in the championship, they're averaging two goals per game. They've kept five clean sheets in the last seven. You look at the strength of that squad, um, it should never be playing at this level in the first place, really. Um, particularly, you look at the the players they can bring off the bench and, you know, QPR just look like sitting ducks for this match at the weekend. Unfortunately, um, things have massively spiralled out of control. It's a, a year ago to the week, really, that QPR went top of the championship with a 2-1 win over Wigan. Uh, since then, obviously, we've had the, the McBeal saga. Neil Critchley was unable to kind of um, turn the, the mess around, really, and Gareth Ainsworth stepped in and, and somehow miraculously managed to keep the club up despite just a series of disastrous displays and a couple of fluky wins, but things have really spiralled again. Um, there seems to be an acceptance at board level that QPR are getting relegated, but we're not just kind of sleepwalking our way to League One. We're, we're sprinting to League One at the minute. <laughs> and um, 
it's pretty it's pretty hard to watch really um i've kind of numbed to the pain now in all honesty it's it kind of just uh, routine defeats week in week out it's 18 defeats in 27 under ainsworth across all competitions we've scored just 19 goals and conceded 50 in that sample in midweek we lost at west brom we had one shot which was blocked so effectively no shots at goal um and the way in which ainsworth is setting his side up is is as if we're uh, biggest underdogs almost San Marino like and you know we have to be in the games <laughs> as, as, as possible really and um, you know his cause hasn't been helped by Jimmy Dunn's suspension after red card in midweek Morgan Fox is still injured Steve Cook is probably 50-50 at best to be available uh, and Jay Clark Salter went off at half time in midweek as well so we could be going into the weekend without any senior available centre-halves against uh, the best team I described in, in championship history so um, yeah it could be curtains uh, quite early doors in this match but I think the best way the best value way of getting on side with Leicester is to back them to win to nil or Leicester to win and beat ETS no which comes in at 6-4 to four, uh, 2.5 wow. very big price um, that would be my favourite selection here. Plastico coming up. Barcelona, Real Madrid, both going well at the moment. Both have super young stars in their squads. It's going to be a really intriguing game this in Catalonia. Emmett, let's start with you. How's this going to go? Because there isn't much to choose between them in the standings. And I don't think either of them are kind of where they want to be in terms of performance levels, but they're not far off. No, I, it's 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 quite an interesting game. I think there's a lot of mystery surrounding the kind of the whether kind of some Barcelona is going to injure players will come back. I was reading today that I think Xavi's going to delay naming his matchday squad to the last possible moment, basically to allow the likes of um, Robert Lewandowski, Frankie De Jong, and Rafinha all to all all to return. But I think to be honest, I think from what I've read about the most obvious, the most important player of those three would be clearly be Lewandowski. But from what I've read, it seems like if he's going to play it'll probably be from the bench so that's so given those kind of and Barcelona have also the likes of Ped, Pedri absent and a kind of they were relatively on a lengthy injury list and so that's why if you kind of see, see the match prices here Barcelona are, are kind of as big as 2.6 for the match with Real at kind of 2.8 so they give everyone who's fit Barcelona be closer to maybe 2.2 2.3 maybe even shorter and I'll be honest I think it's probably I think the market might have overreacted slightly to Barcelona's absences I know it's this is in kind of the big sample size under Xavi Barcelona have won 20 of their 24 matches in La, in La Liga at home the only match they've lost in, in that period was in the last day of the season against Sociedad which was a game which was a totally meaningless match I just think this season Real have shown kind of vulnerability every, in every away match. Basically, they played against decent opponents. They drew at Sevilla last week, giving up close to two expected goals. They were well beaten at the Wanda by Atletico. They conceded over two expected goals at Girona. Uh, they've lost the XG battle convincingly in away wins, both at Braga and, uh, and Napoli. So I just think there's there's definitely vulnerability about Real. I just I think you're getting and you can get Barcelona here in one ninety one draw about. That's the, probably the way I'd look. I think I, I, I expect Barcelona even even with the absences. I think th- 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 that team is still is still talented enough to trouble Real. And if Real are as vulnerable defensively as they've shown away from home this season, I think Barcelona can get it can get at least a point. There's a bit of value in in the in the draw about market. Stinchy pro Barcelona here, or are you going the other way? 
I'm going for a bit of an unsexy bet with the with the likely absence of, of Lewandowski. Uh, last weekend, we backed under three goals in, uh, well, it might have been under 2.75 in Barca against uh, Bilbao, and it, and it finished 1-0. Um, so yeah, just going down the, the same route again, mentioned about the fact that of Barcelona's huge reliance on Lewandowski involved in 40% of their goals this season. He scored 33% last season. <clears throat> I think we've seen that in the two games that he's missed so far, um, relying on 17-year-old Mark Gui to come off the bench and score. Uh, 20-year-old Fermin Lopez scored against Shakhtar in midweek. I know Ferran Torres scored, but that's just one goal in eight starts as a striker. And obviously the, the level of opposition in Shakhtar, not the same, quite the same as uh, Real Madrid. Um, so now it's seven domestic games that Lewandowski's missed since joining Barca and six have ended in 1-0 Barcelona win. So yeah, envisaging a, a low scoring game. Uh, one of those actually came against Madrid last season. And I think we just look at Madrid, there's a, a heavy reliance on, on Jude Bellingham already and, and Hozalu, who, who's not even a regular starter. They've scored 16 of Madrid's 27 goals across all competitions and uh, you know Ancelotti seemingly favoring Rodrigo right now over Hozalu and but Rodrigo's only scored one in 10 domestically and that was the opening day and if you look at them away from home against sort of decent opposition in, in La Liga and Atletico and Sevilla they've only managed one goal in each of those so I'm going for under three goals um, around about 1.95 I have to say only one of the last 10 head-to-head have gone under three with seeing 32 goals, but obviously hardly any of those would have been without both Lewandowski and Benzema. So that's the route I'm going down. Now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so revered. The Hollywood boss is prepared to throw millions of pounds at the film version. And with Leonardo Bonucci not always getting a game at Union Berlin at the moment, maybe he will be interested in playing the role of Stinch, as Stinch himself requested last week. How this works is each of the three guys comes up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action, and then lovely traders like Emmett here wrap them up for you in a boosted treble. Emmett, I will start with you. Yeah, this uh, selection on the Sunday. So, so as as Mark said, if uh, if if you want to be a dweeb, don't listen to the show. But if I think <laughs> I'm sure all the listeners aren't, so I think I, I presume they will. So, yeah, Inter Milan to beat Roma looked like banker material on the Sunday evening. So we'll start with that. Yeah, we will come to that in the Sunday show, Mark. Leicester. He <laughs> <laughs> can't can't quite sit on the pain of that, so he just had to get it over nice and quickly. Uh, Stitch, what have you got for us? Uh, over 2.5 Augsburg v Wolfsburg. So hopefully we hear back-to-back podcast troubles. Lovely stuff. And as always on this show, uh, we are going to wrap up with the delightful and delectable Mark O'Hare's Scott Watch. Mark, take it away. Uh, Friday night football from the Scottish Championship. Queen's Park face Partick in a bit of a, a Glaswegian derby. Uh, these aren't massive rivals, though. Uh, but there should be goals. Um, over two and a half goals is 1.8. I like that. Uh, the Championship has been quite good fun to follow this year in terms of goals. Uh, 2.86 goals per game on average. 60% of matches going over with Partick Thistle. Especially uh, fun to follow. Eight of their nine games have gone over two and a half goals. Uh, six of Queen's Park's ten have followed suit. And Queen's Park have, have scored regularly, but haven't been keeping many clean sheets. Similar for Partick, really, um, who've lost form recently, including a 5-0 thrashing 
at home to Dundee United last weekend. Um, so, yeah, neither are in particularly good form. Uh, neither are keeping many clean sheets, but both are quite strong in forward areas. So it kind of combines quite nicely for an over 2.5 goals selection. Now, we've covered both of these two teams before on Scottwatch. So trying to find sort of fresh, entertaining content for either of them has been a little bit tricky. But I want to give a, a shout out to, to Partick Thistle for their work in sort of supporting causes uh, through their playing kits um, in 2008, became the first club in Scotland to use pink as their primary colour in their away kit. And in 24-15, they wore a specially designed breast cancer charity shirt in black and pink, which saw a portion of kit sales re revenues uh, donated to uh, breast cancer charities. Uh, they continued that theme in 2019-20. They released an away kit that featured a rainbow flag under the sleeves to show support for the LGBT movement. Uh, they're also the first Scottish club to incorporate uh, the flag onto their kit. So credit for Partick for kind of being pioneers in that department in Scottish football. Uh, if you look at their away kit this season, it's pink and silver. Hoops, uh, lovely actually, um, if you haven't seen it before. Um, but yeah, they're a club that we've often kind of taken the piss out of really for their mascot, Kingsley. Um, what, because uh, he's who... the stuff of nightmares? <laughs> yes, quite yes. right too. <laughs> um, but they are a club that, that do kind of think outside of the box and kind of pride themselves on being kind of non-sectarian, uh, considering they are based in the footballing kind of hotbed of Glasgow. Uh, they do deserve credit for that. And we mentioned Kingsley. Um, I did find it quite amusing, some of the quotes from Partick Thistle's general manager, Ian Maxwell, who kind of hailed the success of Kingsley as their mascot in drawing attention to the club. Uh, he was basically stating that... Uh, worldwide interest in TV coverage surrounding the appointment of Kingsley as the club's new mascot amounted to, and I quote, the biggest amount of publicity from a sponsorship launch in Scottish football history. Uh, wow. He's basically gone on to say that Kingsley, the mascot, has become such a huge source of merchandising potential for the club. Uh, demand has basically outstripped supply. He's incredibly popular the world over. <laughs> but um, I went on to Partick Thistle's website, uh, went to the shop, and I couldn't find any Kingsley memorabilia. So presumably it's Not all good enough. Out. Not good enough. They have to produce more. More people want to make their kids have nightmares with a lovely Kingsley plush <laughs> that they can cuddle before they go to bed. That's all we have time for, sadly, on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember uh, to gamble responsibly. Remember all of our shows now on YouTube on Betfair's new non-racing channel. So make sure you like and subscribe. We've got a Manchester Derby preview on our Sunday show, which will include the former United striker Dimitar Berbatov. So make sure you join us for that. From Berber, from Mark, from Stinch, from Emmett and from me. It's goodbye for now.